Due to popular demand, Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing is expanding their line of celebrated quality t-shirts. Check out the new horse and trauma tees for men, the rebellion and vampire tees for women, and the rose and rebellion crop tees for kids. Plus your old favorites are still there like the Panoramic Tiger and the Panoramic Virtual Reality and UFO. Remember, Panoramic is a vision that moves in all directions at plclothing.store. Welcome to Sunday Digest, an award-winning public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. Get ready for a half hour of interesting conversation with veteran Cleveland broadcaster Ken Robinson. And now, here's Ken and Sunday Digest. Good morning and glad to have you along on Sunday Digest today. You know, the holidays are almost here and as Christmas draws near, more people are talking about the reason behind the season and are expressing their religious views in the workplace. But in today's diverse companies, there can be a clash of faiths and cultures. We'll find out how to keep things cool from Dr. Thomas Addington, author of The Fourth Frontier. Also, speaking of keeping things cool, time for advice on preventing holiday fires as we deck the halls with those lights and candles. Joining us now is State Fire Marshal Robert Relag. And, you know, I guess this is a serious problem here in Ohio. House fires started by Christmas displays. Well, Ken, uh, that's correct. Uh, what we uh, ask uh, the citizens of Ohio to be aware of is that when they are out there doing their uh, Christmas lighting uh, decorations around the house, uh, that first and foremost they check all their lights if they're using uh, lights from previous seasons to make sure that there are no cracks or frayed wires, uh, that uh, you know, they, they test those lights and make sure that, uh, that they are working properly before they begin the decoration. If they're going out to look for new strands of lights, we ask them to see that the uh, lights have been tested by an approved uh, testing laboratory such as Underwriters Laboratory, Factory Mutual, or the Canadian Standard Agency. Uh, each of those uh, have uh, criteria that fall within the, uh, uh, the realm of what we feel is a very safe operation. Uh, they also need to look at the, the box and follow the manufacturer's recommendation with regard to how many strands of lights they can plug in uh, before they begin to overload that wiring uh, that's part of the uh, lighting itself. Normally, as a rule of thumb, that's three strands of lights for how many other lights might be in the strand. If it's a strand of 100, uh, then, you know, then uh, uh, fully uh, 300 lights before you need to, you know, to move on and find another source uh, uh, to plug in. Or, uh, again, in a lot of cases, uh, that's all done by the uh, uh, directions that are there with the manufacturer uh, on the box itself. Uh, you know, we ask that uh, if they're leaving the house or if they're moving out of a room that they turn off all lights, uh, you know, when you go to bed or leave the house so that there's nothing that uh, may occur, short circuit occur, uh, that you're not aware of uh, with some, you know, immediacy. Uh, check and make sure that if they're lighting for outdoors or extension cords for outdoors, that they're clearly marked that they're for outdoor use so that they're uh, to some degree, weather uh, uh, approved, and uh, you know, just common sense measures with regard to lighting. 
Now, a lot of us guys take pride in our Christmas displays. Uh, do you think a lot of uh, folks just, you know, think they know <laughs> the way to do these things and ignore uh, a lot of uh, basic safety rules? Well, I think it's possible. We do have uh, instances uh, where uh, lighting uh, causes fires. Uh, in a lot of cases, uh, uh, the the problem may not only just be a fire, but if you're um, hanging uh, lights from an outdoor gutter, for example, and the light becomes frayed, there's a possibility of uh, if it's a metal uh, structure metal gutter that uh, you know that that can become somewhat electrified. Um, there are all sorts of things that are there, and, and bringing up that latter case, one of the things that we suggest very strongly is that all outdoor lights be plugged into a ground a ground fault interrupter. Uh, GFI uh, is like a, a mini circuit breaker, and when uh, something occurs out of doors that uh, uh, causes uh, the electricity to go to ground, it immediately kicks out the ground fault interrupter as well for some added safety uh, when, uh, when dealing with those outdoor lights. How do you know uh, your household is able to handle, a lot of people put up elaborate outdoor displays, how do you know that... Uh, uh, your house uh, sockets can handle the load? Well, that's a good question. Um, if you're using uh, circuit breakers and they're rated uh, by their amperage, 15, 20, 30, that kind of thing, you need to make sure that uh, wherever your outlets are that are being fed by that, that circuit, that the circuit is adequate. Um, you know, in, in most cases, uh, a circuit breaker that is in good working order would... Uh, would throw itself in the off position uh, if it's overloaded, in which case then you have to divide the load up among several of the, of the circuit breakers. The biggest thing that you don't want to do is to have a, uh, a slow buildup that doesn't trip the uh, circuit breaker, and then consequently, uh, if there is a short circuit, it just begins to smolder, and perhaps uh, if it's an outdoor display, catch a structural member of the uh, of the uh, dwelling on fire, or if it's an indoor display, especially with a live Christmas tree, uh, that it continues to burn and catches the tree on fire, which you know brings us into the segment of, of about live trees. Um, we look and see about 35% of Ohio's households uh, buy live Christmas trees. As a matter of fact, my own my own family's tradition is is to use a live tree. What we suggest of people when they're uh, when they're using live Christmas trees is that they check the freshness of the tree before they buy it. They look at the needles to make sure they're pliable. They make sure that they're not brittle. Uh, they look to see if there are old needles in the uh, uh, trunk of the tree, uh, which may tell you know how dry some of the interior is. Uh, when they do select that, that tree, they, they then want to make sure that they put a new fresh cut on the trunk of the tree, put the tree in water till it's ready to be brought inside to decorate, make sure that the tree stand that they have is sufficient and also that it that the tree is continuing to drink water uh, as it's uh, indoors. And then we really look at about a, a two-week period of time where that tree remains uh, normally fresh enough to stay inside. As it dries out or as it, if it comes in contact with a heat register or uh, a um, 
uh, in the area of a, of a portable heater, the tree will dry out a lot faster. Remember, if you get the image of a, of a forest fire that we all see during the year in California or Oregon or, uh, you know, mostly out west, and we see the tremendous amount of heat that's generated in that forest fire, when you bring a tree inside, you're really bringing a fire load, a, a product that, that can easily catch fire with such ferocity that it, uh, that it really becomes uh, a forest fire within your home. So we really want people to practice uh, good fire safety, uh, making sure that their lights are well in order, that that tree is away from any source of heat, including candles, uh, maybe decorative candles that may be someplace else uh, in the room but can tip over and cause combustibles to, to catch fire, which in turn catches the Christmas tree. And I think the last thing that we want to mention as far as live trees or any trees are concerned is make sure that that tree is someplace in the home that it doesn't block the exits. And we're talking about holiday safety with Ohio's number one fireman, State Fire Marshal Robert Relag. I'm Ken Robinson on WGAR. This is Sunday Digest. Do artificial trees pose the same hazard as live trees? Well, the, the situation is twofold with artificial trees. Number one is that uh, even though they don't catch fire as, as quickly as a, as a dry live tree, uh, they are, in fact, uh, usually a plastic and uh, at some temperature, uh, they are going to ignite, and when they do, uh, it's an increase in the fire load, as I mentioned. Uh, they will give off uh, the normal uh, uh, fire temperatures of uh, a plastic uh, uh, you know, piece of furniture or anything of that nature, uh, so it's an added load from that standpoint. From the metallic trees, and, and we've seen just a little bit of a resurgence in some cases of, of metallic trees, not as not as bad as it was in the 70s back when I can remember metallic trees with big with big wheels uh, that uh, change the color, but there are some trees that are metallic, and in that particular case, we again want to emphasize the need to check your wiring, because if you put lights on a metallic tree and it shorts out, once again, you have a situation where you could be inducing electricity into the entire tree itself. That's the old uh, aluminum trees. From, Absolutely. From, uh -huh. There are some, uh, there are some uh, trees that are, that are, however, green that are also of metallic base, and so people need to, to know what they're looking at and looking for when they're buying an artificial tree as well. Any idea how many... Uh Holiday lights and holiday displays and, and, and Christmas items uh, cause uh, fires here in Ohio every year. We have about uh, 550 uh, residential fires caused by candles in a year, and we see uh, clearly in uh, from about Thanksgiving to maybe the middle of January, uh, we see uh, roughly uh, one-third of those fires uh, caused in about a six- to eight-week period of time. And so... Uh, it indicates to us that uh, the holiday candles that are part of crafts and a part of the decorations of the holiday season uh, do tend at times to be left unattended. What we suggest with candles are that if they're being used uh, as part of the decorations for the holiday, that you never leave the candle unattended. You know, it, it, you you. You just don't, you know, light a candle in, for example, the living room or the family room or the great room, and then, and then walk off and and go to the other side of the, you know, the house and and not leave that candle to burn by itself. 
the other thing that we see so often is that in these arch displays, there's nothing to confine the candle. And we certainly suggest that something like a glass chimney, which uh, goes around, and if something does happen, it tips over, um, it, uh, you know, it burns to a certain level. And we've actually had some candles over the past few years recalled because of the, the rate of burn at a certain point. They just start to, to burn very uh, ferociously. And so that glass starts to at least confine that fire within, uh, you know, within an area that hopefully people will go you know, check it and, and then extinguish it before it, uh, it gets, out, uh, gets out of control. Well, thanks a lot. Really appreciate Again, it. Ken, I appreciate it. You call us anytime. We'll be happy to, to do uh, to do anything that you guys need there. All right. Have a very, very good holiday season yourself. Well, you do the same. Thank you, Ken. State Farm Marshal Robert Relag giving us tips on keeping safe when putting up those holiday lighting displays. I'm Ken Robinson, and you're listening to Sunday Digest. Happy holidays, WGA. You know, more people are talking about the holidays with Christmas just around the corner. And because of the season, more workers are expressing their religious beliefs in the workplace. But in today's diverse companies, there can be a clash of faiths and cultures. We'll find out how to keep things cool during the Yule from Dr. Thomas Addington, co-author of The Fourth Frontier, Exploring the New World of Work. Dr. Addington has a doctorate in communications from Penn State University, and he taught at the University of Arkansas, where he's currently based. Dr. Addington, how do we ease holiday tensions in the workplace? Well, Ken, that's an interesting question, because until recently, it really wasn't a very good idea at all to infuse faith issues into a work environment. But that really is changing, and it's changing because uh, folks, our culture really is driving toward a more integrated uh, view of life and a less fragmented view of life. And faith is one of those things that is uh, that, that makes us tick and, and uh, gives us meaning as people. However, uh, so, so that's a long way of saying that there are more faith issues being explored right now at work than ever before. But every single work context has a set of rules. And it is a good idea for us uh, in that context to know what the rules are and abide by them in bringing faith kinds of issues uh, into the workplace. So, you know, folks uh, say, for example, how in the world can you bring the holiday spirit into the office without offending people? And there are a whole bunch of things that you can do uh, regardless of of, uh, what your approach is. For example, fun is good, and Christmas time or the holiday season is a great time to have some fun with the people who you you work with. Community is good, for example, and uh, in the last, demographically, work has become, in a sense, kind of a neo-community. People are forming and forging relationships in, the, in a work context far more than they used to. Like, for example, it used to be that uh, the popular sitcom TV shows all revolved around the family. Well, now they almost all revolve around work relationships, and so... Community is good, and, and, and the, the holiday season is a great time to sort of re-engage personally with the people who you do deals with and uh, rub shoulders with in a professional context um, all year. So there are a lot of things that you can do uh, that, that don't bring offense, um, even though faith or spirituality really may be part of the fabric um, uh, that you bring into the work environment during the holiday season. 
Well, you mentioned situation comedies. This sounds like a pretty good situation comedy. You may have a devout Christian, a, a, a Jewish person, maybe an, an, an Islamic person all working in the same office. How do you, how do you handle the holidays with uh, diversity of that nature? Well, that's a good question. And again, I think it's important that you understand the rules of a work context, the unwritten ones and the written ones, so that what you, whatever you do is appropriate. But for example, uh, the, the folks who you mentioned, uh, a Jewish individual, a Christian, and, um, and, and a Muslim, uh, uh, I can't remember who the other individual oh, was. Uh-huh, Islamic person? An Islamic uh-huh. person. Um, all think that integration is a good idea. That is to say, they don't want to have different parts of their life out there floating with no connection to anything. And so integration is good, and being able to talk, how to talk about together, how to be an integrated person, usually is a good conversation to have. It's also all of those folks would say, you know, focusing on other people is a good deal. And in a business kind of a context, um, you know, in the work in, in the everyday uh, hustle and bustle of, of competitive environments where the deal is the issue, being able to stop and focus on other people is a good thing, you know. Focus on their needs, focus on their life. Reflection is good. Almost everybody takes some time during the holiday uh, weeks to stop, kind of take stock, reevaluate priorities, make some changes, make some course correction uh, things, and that kind of, that kind of a deal. And um, because work friends are more significant now than they were before, it's often, it's often beneficial for people to be able to dialogue or think through those priority changes with other people at work. So regardless of your approach and regardless of uh, the different elements of your faith, uh, those things can all be done without offending anybody uh, during, during the holidays. Now, how do you deal with the person who is very, very devout, the person who lives their religion on their job? I think uh, all of us have worked with a person like that from time to time. Uh, Sometimes we may feel put off by the other person's religion and how they may be wearing it on the job. How do you deal in situations like that? Well, I'm not really sure. When I'm in situations like that, I'm not really sure what I can do about that other person. I don't necessarily have the authority to deal with them, but I tell you what I can do. I can figure out what I can do myself to make my faith attractive to the people around me and certainly make it uh, the kind of a situation where it's not offensive to people around me. And again, it comes back, I think, to understanding the environment in which we work. Is it a publicly held company with a particular set of rules? Is it a privately held environment? Because every single culture, every single business culture is different. And um, I'm not sure I can do a whole lot about someone else who does stuff I don't really like, but there's a whole lot I can do myself to set the kind of a tone um, uh, in, in an office environment or in a business kind of a context that's very positive. There's a new economy brewing. Uh, the economy is getting more technical. Uh, people have more technical skills, more technologies being used in the workplace. Companies are folding up and uh, moving off, and new companies are being created at a rapid pace. Is there a new dynamic in the workplace these days? There is a new dynamic. Uh, well, there are a number of different dynamics. Uh, one of them that we've mentioned is integration, and that's really integration is really a new economy idea. And so even though technology is a, big, is a big issue, figuring out how to bring the different parts of life together is really one of the answers the new economy has. But there are other things, too. For example, one of the, the ideas floating out there, which is a big idea, 
uh, regardless of your faith orientation, is the issue of calling. And the idea there is God has made you uh, a very unique person, and he's gifted you in particular areas. Are you working in the areas that you're best equipped uh, to do based on the wiring that's kind of built into you? Um, and there are obviously there are other, a lot of other dynamics, too, Ken, that we're all familiar with, and that is that things are going to change very rapidly. I have to be very flexible. I can't be rigid. I may not have the same job my whole life. I may not even have the same uh, – I may be working on different projects. We've moved from a career environment to a job environment to a project environment, and all of that has real implication in terms of um, being flexible, learning new things, making sure I, um, I get along with people. Uh, I will spend a whole bunch of time with people uh, who I work with, you know, somewhere between 100 and 130,000 hours uh, during, over, my, over my lifetime of work. And so uh, because we're working with many, many more people than we used to, learning how to uh, relate to those folks in a positive way as we shift from project to project is, uh, has become a big priority. Now, in the fourth frontier, you, you seem to indicate that people kind of feel differently about their, their jobs today, today and their roles within these companies. Uh, people don't get the same kinds of satisfaction they receive from work at, uh, in years past, and that's uh, putting a religion in a different light in the workplace. Well, it, it is. Uh, you know, if you, if, if you talk about the builder generation, which would be my parents' generation, uh, they saw work as a means to a paycheck to a great extent, and they stayed in the same job, if they could, their entire career. Uh, the, the baby boomers, on the other hand, of which I am one, uh, see work differently. They sort of wake up in the middle of their, of their career life and they say, hmm, I'd like to move from success to significance. I'd like to, I've, I've made a mark successfully, but I'd like to make a mark in terms of significance. And so they move into nonprofits or they, they change jobs to do what they, quote, really like to do. Um, but then the Gen Xers go a whole, they take it to a whole nother level and they say, look, why wait, to, why wait until halftime? I want my life to have me and significance right now, my job's a big part of that, so I'm only going to take jobs where I can have great relationships, where my job delivers a sense of meaning and satisfaction uh, inherently in it, which is very, very different than the builder generation was. So work is being asked to deliver more individually than ever before, and uh, it's really, really changing the face of what, uh, what jobs look like, what people look like in those jobs and what kinds of jobs that people find valuable. All right, we want to thank you for the insight. Dr. Thomas Addington, co-author of The Fourth Frontier, Exploring the New World of Work. He was with us on the line from Fayetteville, Arkansas. I'm Ken Robinson, and up next, a look at winter driving. Sunday Digest. Here's Ken Robinson on WGAR. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Christmas is almost here, and with it, the official start of winter, and that means, yep, snow and difficult driving conditions. 
Daniel Cox is vice president of the Heights Driving School, and he's here to give us some tips on driving in snowy and icy conditions. Daniel, I guess it's always good to be prepared before you hit the road. Sure, if you have to be out, then what we need to do is first to prepare the car in advance to make sure that we clean off the windshield. Now, what a lot of people neglect is they don't clean off their headlights. They get just as dirty. Make another tip to get prepared is make sure you have washer fluid. Probably one of the most important things in the wintertime is washer fluid because of all the snow and the salt will throw up onto the windshield and you won't be able to see. So that's an important tip. Uh, also driving in snow, remember everybody to use their low beams. Turn on your high beam, you're going to be blinded. So that's important to remember. Uh, allow an extra time and also extra space around your vehicle. So if you do start to slide, you will have uh, the ability to stop the car in time or steer out of trouble. Uh, those people out there with anti-lock brakes and the SUV vehicles, remember you have more uh, weight with the larger vehicles. So even though you have an advanced braking system uh, with the ABS braking, you do have more weight. And sometimes they get into more trouble because they assume they're going to be able to stop faster. The ABS braking systems are designed for you to steer out of trouble, not necessarily stop in a shorter distance. So keep that in mind with that braking system. Uh, the other point is those people that don't have ABS braking, we want to make sure we squeeze the brake like a sponge and come to a, and not let the wheels lock up uh, so we can keep the car and we can steer it. Keep in mind that our overpasses and our bridges freeze first. So even if the weather eases up, uh, we'll have a lot of snow and salt melting the water on the roadway, and as it hits the bridge, it can freeze. So as you go onto a bridge, you want to ease off your speed, uh, off your gas pedal, and then continue through the bridge, and then pick up on your speed after you've passed it. And whatever you do, if you feel yourself sliding, do not, and I repeat, do not hit the brakes because what you'll do is put yourself into a skid. Now, now there's still a lot of people that have rear-wheel drive cars out there. Any, uh, do they uh, receive different advice than those with the front-wheel drive? Uh, slightly. They will have um, a little bit uh, problem. They need to make sure that they, when they speed up or when they're coming from a stop and start to speed up, they need to take a little more time because they're being pushed, so they, it tends to skid a little more. They will have a little more trouble... Uh, as far as taking off, they'll tend to skid a little more. So they need to gradually bring their speed up. And again, that goes back to bringing our speed down. You know, it's going to take us a lot longer, and that's how we're going to... We need to add that time on, 10, 15 minutes or more onto the trip. And that way we'll take it slow and safer. I notice a lot of people just don't want to slow down, no matter how bad it gets. Uh, what's, what's the reasoning behind that? I'll tell you what some of the reasoning is, because we're getting some very advanced cars. And they are having, you know, like ABS systems, we're having traction control, and they're getting this, this feeling that their driving skills are higher and the car's ability to react to problems will get them out of trouble. And it's not true. They're going to get into just as much trouble, and they have to just drive slower and get in mind that even though they have all this advanced equipment, that car's going to lose traction around a curb just like any other vehicle. Now, a lot of four-wheel drives are out there. People feeling kind of confident about that, too, but I've seen uh, four-wheelers in the ditch just like uh, regular cars. Absolutely. Again, they've overdriven their abilities. Uh, they feel that that car, because it has four-wheel drive, can 
do it better than a car that only has uh, front-wheel drive or one that has rear-wheel drive, and it's just not the case. If that car loses traction on the road, that four-wheeler is going to spin out just the same as, as one that has front-wheel drive car. And again, if you spin out, don't, don't panic? No, don't panic. And, and one thing that we want to re- make sure that, that everybody remembers, in a front-wheel drive car, you actually, when you start to skid or spin, hit the gas. Hit it gently, but hit the gas. You have to keep the wheels moving and steer in the direction of the skid, and that car will will come out of that skid. And again, if you get stuck in the snow, a lot of heavy snow, and you get stuck, what should you do? You can't seem to rock the car out. What do you do then? If you're stuck and you can't rock the car out, remember to keep your wheels straight ahead and, and give it a little gas forward and back. But if you're stuck, again, it comes handy if you have a cell phone to call. If you're stuck on a freeway, suggest you don't get out. Or if you're stuck in an area where there isn't a home nearby or anything, we don't want to leave the car. That's our protection, especially in the fierce winds like we had the other day. You will freeze very quickly out on the road. So stay in your car. Remember, the car is easier to see than a human being. So stay in the car. Make sure that your tailpipe is not blocked with snow or anything. What you want to do is run the car about 15 minutes about approximately every hour to keep yourself warm until some help arrives. And again, that's what it helps to have if you're going out, if someone does have a cell phone to, to lend you to, to, to call, so your family or, or you can get help. Well, very good. Really appreciate the advice. All right, Ken, anytime. Daniel Cox, Vice President of the Heights Driving School. And that's our show for today. We'll see you next week right here on Sunday Digest. This has been Sunday Digest with WGAR's Ken Robinson, a public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. The views and opinions expressed on the show were those of the participants and not necessarily those of WGAR, its staff and management. Join us next week for another edition of Sunday Digest. Welcome to Ken's Corner. I'm Ken Robinson. If you're looking to give money to a charity, it may not be a good idea to give cash. So says Art Taylor of the Better Business Bureau. It's never good to just give currency, cash currency, uh, to an organization um, unless you really know them well. Usually it's better to give by check or to give actually by credit card because most credit cards uh, will track where that money is going. Taylor is with the BBB's Wise Giving Alliance and says you can contact them for their list of safe charities in which to donate because some may not be legit. You want to make sure that the organization is vetted and we have hundreds of organizations that you can find at give.org that have been vetted, that are accredited, and that you can feel trust. Taylor says you can also contact your local Better Business Bureau for a paper copy of their safe charity list. Thanks for stopping by Ken's Corner, part of the K-Rob Collection. Learn more about our shows by checking out krobcollection.com or the K-Rob Collection Facebook page. The world is embracing cryptocurrency. Don't get left out. Make Coinbase your home base for the new digital economy. Millions of people and businesses trust Coinbase to buy, sell, and manage crypto. You can even earn free crypto by watching their instructional videos, which make trading and investing so easy. Coinbase is committed to creating more economic freedom through accessible, safe, and secure financial tools for everyone. 
To sign up, go to krobcollection.com.